Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right, your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, January 12th. It's just moments away, but what? Wow. It's already January 12th. That's what I was saying. Like, wow, man, the earth goes around and around. Time is just constantly moving on, dude. Whoa. We're cruising along. Your Bendrovsky show for Whoa. Tuesday, January 12th. <laughs> By the way, push your camera down a little bit. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, there it is. is that There's better? that face. Wait, oh, not a polar bear. It's Bendrovsky. Oh, my God. All right. Hold on, man. I keep things doing this All right. The sponsors thing, may be listening right now. All right. Come on. Oh, sorry, man. Camera sorry. up. There, there we go. go. Oh, okay. oh, there we go. Is that good? No, I just I see your chin. And only there's oh. your face. There we go. All right. Oh, there we go. Good looking guy. Hey, SEIU, we'll clean it up. Don't worry. All right. SEIU Healthcare, <laughs> Illinois, Indiana are sponsors of this program, as well as our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. And of course, today's Ben Jarofsky show. Every Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you by the Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com. Subscribe to the Reader. Uh, if you got some extra cash, throw it the Reader's way. Reader's been free for so long anyway, you know what I mean? Uh, chicagoreader.com and subscribe. Okay, you have a song of the day, Ben. It comes from Ooh. Frank, and Frank's a big uh, college football fan. And I guess uh, his Alabama team won. I don't know. I don't. Oh. I don't follow any of this. But yeah, they were uh, victorious. Mm-hmm. His song of the day, "Celebration" by Cool and the Gang. Oh, I love that song. But you know, I just want to say a couple of things before we do this. Um, okay, your camera again. Well, Push it down a little bit. <laughs> okay, now this up a little bit. Now up, happy. up a little bit. Up a little bit. There we go. You know, this there camera, we go. Uh, it's going to fall again. Oh, God. Dang. We're good looking <laughs> there he is. Right. Here's the thing, man. I just want to say this about singing a song. I love singing the songs. I'm happy to do it. But, you know, uh, when we drop the podcast, I would like you to edit this out because I'm worried about, like, what WBZ, WBEZ would think. If by chance they were to listen, they go, oh, that's not very professional. Our people don't, you know, do well, that. That thought's about song. three years late, but whatever. <laughs> sure. <laughs> So I just edited it out, right, Dave, for the podcast? Uh, celebrate good times. Come on. Do, 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 do. Woo-hoo. Oh, yeah. Boom. <laughs> I like the oh, yeah, at the end. <laughs> hey, you know, it's kind of improvised. You know, Dave, that's how I do it. One, okay, more, w- one more time, the oh, yeah. Celebrate okay, not the sl- oh, go good ahead. times. All right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Ben Jarofsky right. show starts now. It is Tuesday, January 12th, and live from my apartment and his attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's the return of Mark Sims.
And now your host, do not hire him as a cameraman. <laughs> if I've learned anything in the last week, do not do that. Chicago Raider columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Nothing Ever Changes Tuesday. And here's why. Great weekend. You have a good weekend, D? Yeah, it was good. Good weekend. Very That's good weekend. That's what I want to hear. I got a new couch. Whoa. Ain't breaking news. <laughs> <laughs> I got a new couch. Whoa, that is great. I'll tell you what, man. Life's good for Dr. D. He's and got a new couch. No, it time. wasn't in the alley, guys. I know that's what a lot of people are thinking. That's <laughs> yeah, okay. You get some good couches out of that alley. All right. Uh, so uh, what did I? Oh, I watched Mrs. America. Excellent. Good, good uh, series. It's a shame I haven't started. I haven't watched it already, but, you know, sometimes it takes long. Uh, saw Hamilton. Uh, my shot. That's from Hamilton Day. Just oh. don't worry about it. Uh, that's one of my favorite songs from it. Uh, I want to thank you, Frank, once again. Without you, I wouldn't have seen Hamilton. Monroe is going to be so excited to talk about Hamilton tomorrow. He loves it. He's seen it like six times. Uh, but mostly I spent this weekend doing what I've been doing for the last four years, ladies and gentlemen, and that is obsess- obsessively following the insanity of Trump and his allies and just the whole Trump world. Folks, this is insane. It's as though... Everything's changed in the last six years, but nothing's changed in the last six years. As though we're right where we were when this roller coaster ride started back in 2015 or whatever it was that Donnie came those down those stairs at his tower in New York and announced he was running for president by cussing out Mexicans and calling them racists and criminals and saying he was going to protect the border, etc. and so forth. And sure enough, That's where he went today, to the border, to look at his wall, what he made of his wall, which is not really a full wall. It's not a wall like that was going to cover the entire border like he said he does would do. But it doesn't really matter, ladies and gentlemen, because nothing matters to MAGA when it comes to Donnie Trump. They don't care if he actually built the wall he said he was going to build. It was more like he said he was going to build it, and that's good enough. And if he says he did build it, they'll believe him. They're like, they love Donnie Trump so much, he could point to empty space and goes, there's my wall right over there. And they go, yeah, it looks like a wall to me. Meanwhile, also in the category of nothing ever changes, Congress just issued articles of impeachment. I've been following this one all weekend as well. That makes two articles of impeachment efforts in one term of a presidency. That's got to be some kind of record. The last one, as we all know, died in the Senate. That was earlier in 2020. Seems like Ages and ages ago, but it was a year ago. They only got one Republican to vote for it, Mitt Romney. Maybe this time they'll get two or three, four or five. This impeachment effort, of course, has to do with Wednesday's insurrection where hundreds of MAGA men and women stirred up by too much Donnie charged the Capitol. The New York Times put it on their front page. Uh, another thing that, that that has not changed, the New York Times has been consistently patrolling Trump and rightfully so. Uh, here are the relevant portions, Steve, which I will now read. I'll show you on my camera, show all my listeners too who can't see. So I don't know why I'm showing them. Uh, but here is uh, the relevant portions of the New York Times. And God bless the New York Times. They put this resolution right on the front page. So it's like a perfect cheat sheet for me. I'll take a picture of it and I'll always have it. And then they even highlight like the important stuff in yellow. Sort of like the New York Times has gone back to high school. I'm reading this book and highlighting stuff in yellow. And some people got really carried away, D. Like the whole book was highlighted in yellow. I'm like, what's the point? 
Anyway, <laughs> New York Times show more restraint than that. They only highlighted a, a few sections like this one. Donald John Trump engaged in high crimes and misdemeanors by inciting violence against the government of the United States. Well, we all know that. We all saw that. We all heard that. And then this one, also in yellow. President Trump addressed a crowd at the Ellipse in Washington, D.C. There, he reiterated false claims that, quote, we won this election and we won it by a landslide, unquote. Wow. Talk about seeing a wall that doesn't exist. He will also he also willfully made statements that in context encourage and foreseeably resulted in lawless action at the Capitol, such as, quote, if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. Finally, this point, they summarize some of his efforts uh, to uh, subvert and obstruct the certification of the election, including a phone call on January 2nd, 2021, during which, quote, President Trump urged the Secretary of State of Georgia, Brad Raffensperger, to, quote, find enough votes to overturn the Georgia presidential elections and threaten Secretary Raffensperger if he failed to do so. Concluding, wherefore, Donald John Trump, by such conduct, has demonstrated that we remain a threat to national security, democracy, and the Constitution, if allowed to remain in office, and has acted in a manner grossly incompatible with self-governance and the rule of law. Donald John Trump thus warrants impeachment and trial, removal from office, and disqualification to hold and enjoy any office of honor, trust, or profit under the United States. Here, here. Basically, they want to get that point, disqualification, because 35% of the country loves Donald John Trump. By the way, D, it's nice to know I'm not the only person who calls him Donald John Trump. The impeachment papers go Donald John Trump. Anyway, uh, they got the, the votes in the House to send the matter to the Senate, That's because the Democrats have a majority of the House, uh, and they'll have a vote on it after they pass a resolution calling on Vice President Mike Pence to invoke the 25th Amendment. Uh, the VP would declare Donnie, quote, incapable of executing the duties of his office and to immediately exercise power as president. Uh, it, it is my prediction that that is not going to happen. Same as it's ever been category of things with Mike Pence. He's basically scared of MAGA. He's basically playing this game, a go along with Trump in the hopes that he, Pence, will be viewed by MAGA as Donnie's rightful successor. That is every bit as delusional as people who believe in the existence of a wall that does not exist or people who believe that Donald Trump won an election that he actually lost. MAGA hates Pence. They're calling for his head during the insurrection as on putting his head on a chopping block. They essentially threatened his life. They threatened his family's life. And he still goes along. It's amazing the power of Trump, his ability just to force Republicans into capitulation. That has not changed either. In fact, it seems to be getting worse. What else? Oh, yes, my beloved mainstream media. I watched 60 Minutes on Sunday. I haven't done that in a long, long time. I wanted to see Nancy Pelosi's interview. Leslie Stahl was interviewing her. Kept hammering away at her, at Nancy Pelosi, for not wanting to compromise with the Republicans. Damn that mainstream media. Oh, he's bending over backwards to make themselves look like they're playing fair. Well, they were tough on Trump, so they got to be tough on Nancy Pelosi. Even though Nancy Pelosi's quote-unquote crimes are like nowhere near as bad as Trump's. 
I'm going to tell you something, Leslie Stahl. I can tell you don't get out much with lefties. Among lefties, the problem with Nancy Pelosi is that she compromises too much. But according to Leslie Stahl, her problem is she doesn't compromise enough. That's why so many great lefties of this country, like AOC and our very own Samina Mustafa and Babs, are always so irritated and frustrated with her and always giving me grief for supporting her. Yeah, it's great. It's great podcasting content. What up, Babs? Yeah. And then Leslie Stahl goes, why can't you be nicer to AOC? Well, which one is it going to be, Leslie Stahl? Compromise more with the Republicans, which means irritating AOC, or welcoming AOC to leadership, which means less compromise. Either way, Nancy Pelosi loses. 60 Minutes is still playing that can't we all get along fantasy. Like I said, nothing's changed. We got a great show today, everybody. Mark Sims, host of Just a Few Questions, the great podcast will be here. I'll be asking him just a few questions. I see what you did there. That was good. That That was good. That was good. What can I say? Uh, He's all fired up. He was sending me texts all weekend, too. He was fired up by what happened. Usually I always thought that uh, Mark Sims was more of a nihilist, but he was very uh, upset by what went down on Wednesday, so we'll talk about all that. And much, much more with the great, the legendary Mark Sims. But before we do that, the young man from Mountain, the man that Mark Sims, Samina Mustafa, Leslie Stahl, and Nancy Pelosi called the doctor. Wow. With the news. How's it going, everybody? Hey, what do you say we find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon? And yes, Mike Madigan. But first, we begin in the city of Chicago. This is the right thing to do, even though it's a hard thing to do. Okay, how'd that get in there? (laughs) So, Monday. Oh, you okay? Everything good there? Uh, Yeah, I just, I just like, listen, that was, that was Mayor Lori Lightfoot back in the days when the pandemic was real. Sorry, D. Go ahead with your story. So Monday, children returned to Chicago public schools classrooms for the first time in 300 days. You know, since this damn dirty coronavirus flipped all of our worlds upside down. How many students returned? No one knows. Well, one paper thought they knew. They said 6,000. And then later we learned that numbers haven't been released. Uh it's for sure. It's for sure in the thousands. That's all we can tell you, I guess, right now. How do they get to six thousand if the numbers haven't been released? I don't know. Got really weird this morning with numbers. I, yeah, I know it was weird. I don't know. Is I think what it is, D, is that too many reporters are in the kitchen on these stories. They got like twenty reporters on every story. You notice that in the Sun Times Tribune. So like one guy has the numbers, the other guy doesn't have the numbers. So one guy writes the numbers are X, and the other guy writes we didn't get the numbers, and then they put it all in the same story. And I think the only one who reads those stories, the whole story in total, is me and you. Yeah. <laughs> Wait. One guy's in the break room getting Cheetos. Wait, hold on. Before you release that story, oh, too late. And then the numbers are all me. I think it's for sure in the thousands. All right. We could say that. Um, so how did day one go? Well, if you ask Chicago public schools at least a couple of hours ago, they'd say it was a success. According to Chicago public schools, more than 70 percent of teachers and 80 percent of support staff returned. Some of those who did not come to their school buildings were following safety protocols. Roughly 18 percent of employees did not clock in and offer a valid reason for not doing so. CPS chief Janice Jackson said, quote, the majority of our teachers are doing exactly what they are supposed to. And. 
So far, the CPS plans to move forward. In three weeks, the district plans to open buildings to another 70,000 students and still no word on when high schools are set to return. Now, we have comments from our friends at the Chicago Teachers Union and leave it to teachers to be on the side of science and common sense. (laughs) What, do they read books all day or something? (laughs) The CTU continues to encourage its teachers to not return to the classroom and to rather teach online from home until conditions are safer for their return. But by Monday night, the district had sent letters to teachers warning that if they did not report to classrooms and did not have accommodations, access to their Google Classroom accounts would be blocked and their pay docked starting today, Tuesday. The teachers union has said. (laughs) Sorry, man. It's so freaking absurd. It's all good. It's so absurd, man. The, the The teachers union has said it believes that would violate the law. Now. Like I said, we have comments from the CTU, but before we read these comments from the Chicago Teachers Union, to further highlight the legitimacy of our teachers' concerns, listen to these awful stories. First, let's hear what the rest of the state discussed on Monday. Ben, a new strain of COVID-19 will become prevalent in Illinois. Here's Illinois Department of Health Director, Dr. Azike. It's probably circulating in such low numbers right now that we have not identified it. The significance of us knowing that it's going to be here, is already here, is that with time, as it did in the UK, it will predominate and be the dominant strain. And that would only take, you know, a few months. Anything else about this new strain, doctor? So potentially in March, we could have this new variant be the majority of our cases. And that means that we will have more infectious spread. So we got that going on. And our Illinois governor, old play it safe Pritzker, who oddly hasn't said anything about students in a city of three million people returning to classrooms. You think you'd have some issues with this. Governor J.B. Pritzker announced that some areas of the state are moving in to phase 1B of vaccine distribution. If things continue to improve in a region, IDPH will reclassify that region according to tier two, tier one, and back to phase four as they meet the necessary metrics. Governor, anything we should maintain adherence to? If we maintain adherence to mask wearing and social distancing and make sure to get vaccinated when it's your time, we will experience a robust recovery that I know we all look forward to. So that's the governor of our state, Illinois. Chicago's in Illinois, guys. And also, before we get to the comments from the CTU, this breaking news. Illinois Democratic Rep Brad Schneider tests positive for COVID-19. The following comes from the Sun-Times and Lynn Sweet on the D.C. Beat. Representative Brad Schneider, Democrat of Illinois, announced Tuesday that he tested positive for COVID-19, possibly exposed last week when the Capitol was attacked and he was in a safe room with Republicans who refused to wear masks. Schneider said in a statement, quote, last Wednesday, after narrowly escaping a violent mob incited by the president of the United States to attack the Capitol and its occupants, I was forced to spend several hours in a secure but confined location with dozens of uh, other members of Congress. Several Republican lawmakers in the room 
uh, refused to wear a mask, as demonstrated in video from Punchbowl News, when, even when politely asked by their colleagues. Today, I am now in strict isolation, worried that I have risked my wife's health and angry at the selfishness and arrogance of the anti-maskers who put their own contempt and disregard for decency ahead of the health and safety of their colleagues and our staff. Schneider said he has displayed no symptoms. Uh, before his diagnosis, Sh uh, Schneider was so cautious that to avoid crowds, he has been driving to Washington from his suburban Deerfield home. Ben Jarofsky, your thoughts. Wow. There's so much to unpack. Before we get to the uh, CTU comments, D, I took notes on everything to unpack. I'll start uh, with Brad Schneider, Congressman Brad Schneider, uh, and he's now uh, in quarantine because he thinks he's been exposed to COVID. Uh, I saw the video that accompanied that article of the uh, representatives. They were in hiding. So MAGA, uh, Donnie Trump incited MAGA. Uh, MAGA rushes to the Capitol. The overwhelming majority of them are not wearing masks. They burst through the police lines. Did you see the one video of the, the MAGA guy like whacking the cop with, with a hockey stick? I mean, <laughs> some dude had a freaking hockey stick. We'll get to Johnny Canizera in a little while. Johnny, I hope you saw that head of the Fraternal Order Police Center. Just looked like a bunch of boys having a good time. This guy was whacking the guy with a hockey stick. Man, they're tolerant of MAGA, aren't they? <laughs> It's like, what does MAGA have to do to get arrested around here, huh? So uh, anyway, they burst in, and they're spreading, polluting everybody, and the Congress uh, is rushed off the floor and sent to safety. And there they are in this room. I don't know where the room was. Some no, bowels of the Capitol. They're all packed in there. And there's a group of, like, a MAGA Congress people. Like they, it, it's it's sort of like black and white kids in the cafeteria at Everson High School back in the day. You can't be at the same table. So the MAGA people over on one side of the room and the uh, Democrats are at the other. And this lady is I, another congresswoman is passing out masks to wear to the MAGA people. And they're like, no, that's good. That's OK. It's like trying to party and someone's passing a joint. No, I'm cool. They didn't take the mask. I'm like, you know, just to bring back with Leslie Stahl, Leslie. How's Nancy Pelosi supposed to compromise with this crew, right? In the interview, Leslie Stahl's got her mask on. Nancy Pelosi's got her mask on. Everybody in, like, the rational world is wearing a mask because that's what the, the doctors and the experts are telling us. But the MAGA congressman, no, we don't want a mask. And they're, like, got these, like, this little look, this smug look on their face, like, <laughs> mask, don't be silly. So now, Branch, I think there's like four congressmen uh, who've come down with COVID-D. I want to say that uh, it seems like the number keeps increasing. This is very serious, this pandemic. That's Dennis's point. But the Republicans, no, no, we don't believe in masks. They're still resisting. So how are you going to have compromise, Leslie Stahl? Help me out. Help me understand how Nancy Pelosi is supposed to compromise this with this crew without alienating AOCs of the world. Please explain that to me. I really would love to know. You know, I, I know I want peace. I want everybody to get along. You know, I want to, I, I, I just want to hold hands and sing Kumbaya as well. But how do you negotiate? How do you find compromise with people who don't even abide by the most basic protocols? When we wear a mask, they're in this crowded little room. Oh, no, no, not for me. 
So that was that. Then there was Mike Quigley. I don't know if you saw that story day over the weekend. Mike Quigley, the congressman from the 5th Congressional District uh, in the city of Chicago, uh, an exclusive with Lynn Sweet, talking about how just violent the rhetoric and the behavior of MAGA supporters uh, was on the airplane coming back from Washington to Illinois, where MAGA, uh, they had just stormed the Capitol feeling really good. You know, they were allowed to whack security guards over the head with hockey sticks. Oh, no problem. <laughs> Boys just want to have fun. And uh, now they're on the uh, airplane and they were threatening. They said to, to the, we'll put the, they wouldn't put their masks on, just like the Congress. They're MAGA Congress people. They don't wear masks. And so the stewardess said, the flight attendant said, well, if you don't put a mask on, we're going to ask you to leave. And then they said, well, we'll put the masks on. But then as soon as the airplane is in the air, we're going to take them off. Like, ha got you. So the pilot had to come over the loudspeaker and say, if you take your mask off, I'll land at the first airport and kick you off the plane. So how are we, how are we supposed to compromise with this? You know, I, I want to find, I, I need an answer here. Help me out, Leslie Stahl. How are we supposed to compromise with this? Now, Brad Schneider, who, by the way, is the ultimate compromiser. He's a centrist Democrat from like a purplish district in the North Shore of Chicago. He's the epitome of compromise. He's the first guy that would want to put an olive branch over to MAGA. Now he's sick. He's in quarantine because they won't put a mask on. Anyway, meanwhile... In the city of Chicago, as Dennis points out, Mayor Lori Lightfoot and Janice Jackson have essentially announced that the pandemic's over. You know, D, I missed that news. Somehow or other, I missed that one. Oh, yeah, it's all safe to come out now. But you got to wear your masks. <laughs> Make sure you wear your mask, but it's over. Just send your kid to school. <laughs> you know, they won't let any. Send your kid to school. And teachers, shut up and get in those classrooms. And D, I'm listening to you. That, that story you read. Because really, folks, I've said it all along. I'll repeat it. This is not about educating youngsters. This is about putting teachers, or more, more to the point, the teachers' union in its place. It's, it's something that Lori Lightfoot and Rahm Emanuel and all these other Democratic mayors of Chicago have in common with the Bruce Rauners of the world. They hate the teachers' union. They can't, I don't know why they hate it so much. I mean, I have my theories. It's, I, th I think it's a, an organization of powerful women that really bothers them. That was the case with Rahm, clearly. I thought he could kick. Well, no, with Lori Lightfoot, it's because she's still mad at Stacey Davis Gates and the teachers union for not endorsing her uh, in the mayoral election. She won't get over that. Anyway, so they put him in their place. So the teachers follow this. We discussed this last week. They must have been listening to the show, D, and come up with a solution. The issue is teachers are supposed to go in the classroom and uh, educate the children who show up in the classroom. And they're also supposed to be uh, working with the children who are not in the classroom. They're supposed to be doing that remotely over their computers. So they're essentially doing two uh, sets of teaching at once. Somehow Lori Lightfoot, who's never been a classroom teacher, has figured out how this is going to work. And Janice Jackson, who has learned how to survive by essentially agreeing to whatever the boss says, is going along with it. So 
Now there's teachers who say, well, we won't come to the classroom, but we'll continue uh, to work with our children remotely. So what are you going to do? They're showing up to work. They're just not showing up to the classroom. We asked this question, what would CPS do? And they figured it out, D. I know what we'll do. We'll block them from getting access to their computers. That'll teach them for wanting to teach their kids. That'll show them. And they'll like, what? They're going to bring in some substitute teachers who will have the access to the computers? So, to sh- so folks, just in case you actually still, there's still some of you out there who don't think this is about sending a message to the Chicago Teachers Union, they're going to block access of union members from teaching remotely, but they'll allow substitute teachers to teach remotely. I even heard they reached out to Dennis. Uh, Dennis, you're not doing anything uh, from about 11 to 12. Could you do a little remote learning? Well, it's funny. I meant to talk to you about that tomorrow. I'm going to be a little late. I got a a little side gig going on here. Yeah. (laughs) What a joke. God forbid they actually meet with Jesse Sharkey or SDG to talk to him about it. You go, uh uh-uh. No, we can't allow them to think that there are equals. They're below, beneath us. There's a chain of command. They show up. They negotiate with our bureaucrats. We lock them in a room, <laughs> virtually, I presume, and let them haggle for like four hours, and then we'll just do what we want. And then we say, we've had many meetings. Remember that one day? We've had many meetings. <laughs> what a weird city. Like, we're in a pandemic, ladies and gentlemen. We've got, like, these huge old buildings with bad ventilation. And nobody has figured out how to make them free, you know, really secure and safe. It's more like, just trust us. And then they get these doctors to say any old thing. Well, our statistics show that the pandemic's getting better. Oh, okay, I'll read that in this story, and I'll turn the page and read, people, there's a new, uh, oh, there's a new strain. We don't even know if the vaccine's going to protect us against this new strain. Help! But meanwhile, uh, send your kids to the school, huh? Shut up, teachers. Go back in the classroom. Weird city, D. And you're right. You're right about Pritzker. You're, you're right about him. He's like, mm, I don't need to get in an argument with Lori Lightfoot. Mm, not today. I'll just pretend as though the city of Chicago doesn't exist. <laughs> Do whatever you want. Mixed messages all over the place. Meanwhile, I'm just an old dude hiding out in my attic, man. <laughs> hoping, hoping I can get through this pandemic without catching the virus. Just hoping. Now, earlier you said uh, the CTU, a group of powerful women. Very true, but you did leave out the president, Mr. Jesse Sharkey. I, um, <laughs> right now, um. What's that, Jesse? Couldn't hear you. Anyway. <laughs> Come on, Jesse. You know we love you, man. Wait, you, you didn't put the truck. <laughs> well, that was just absurd. <laughs> so now let's read the following comments from our friends at the Chicago Teachers Union, minus President Jesse Sharkey and Vice President Stacey Davis Gates. And by the way, love them or hate them. They have a good point. And shout out to the Sun-Times and Jermaine Nolan for his hard work on this. First up, it's Linda Perales, a special education cluster teacher at Corkery Elementary School. She continued to teach remotely last week rather than return to her classroom. Perales said she was informed Monday that her access to her Google Classroom account 
was being suspended. <laughs> that'll, that'll teach you for wanting to teach. The, here's the quote from Perales, quote, I know returning to school is unsafe because we know that our cluster students cannot wear their masks all day. We have been told that we need to build their tolerance to wearing the mask, which implies that they cannot wear the mask. And this is an airborne virus and not wearing masks puts everyone at risk. Yeah, that makes sense. But don't listen to her because she's just a teacher. Next up. By the way, the, oh, again, go ahead. They want to deny her the ability to teach because she won't go in the classroom. I know how we'll punish you. We won't let you teach. That way we don't have to pay you. In fact, we're going to save money on all this because we're going to bring in a substitute who makes a fraction of what you make. More money left over for that TIF deal on the north side. Yay! Next up, it's Quentin Washington. He's a music teacher at Sedlowski Elementary School. Washington said, quote, It is amazing to me that CPS is requiring those of us who were working remotely to come into the building, but substitute teacher coverage is being done remotely. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better, Mr. Washington. By the way, did you play any instruments in, uh, in school? Um, one time they try to teach me how to play the flute, uh, not even the flute, but, uh, like the fake flute, you know what I mean? I forget what it was, right? Maybe it's a sort of like a recorder. And oh, then the they recorder. Yeah. Yeah. And they were listening to me for like five minutes ago, you know, Benny, um, maybe there's something else you could do with your time. <laughs> Just go sit in the corner. Okay. Anyway, uh, by the way, Sadlowski Elementary School is on the far southeast side. It's uh, named for the great Ed Sadlowski, father of Alderwoman Sue Sadlowski Garza. And I uh, just find it uh, cruelly ironic that a school named for a great labor leader is the site of some really crummy labor practices, as in, shut up, get in that freaking classroom. Do what we tell you, and if you don't do what we tell you, we won't let you teach. We won't let you teach virtually. What we'll do is to get some guy at $20 an hour to do what you do. Actually, maybe less than $20 an hour. All right? That'll teach you. Teacher, shut up. <laughs> Sadlowski, Ed Sadlowski, great uh, leader of uh, Steelworkers Union. And in his name, they're doing some stuff, man. Pretty crummy way to teach, uh, to treat t teachers. John T. McCutcheon Elementary School social studies teacher Ginny D'Alessio Parson spoke about the conditions of her school set to reopen. D'Alessio Parson said, quote, two of the classrooms set to receive students had not passed the ventilation assessment by CPS's standards. Teachers found rooms that had not been fully cleaned since March. <laughs> oh, God. And there was no all staff meeting or clear instruction on how to receive the students. She then went on to say that a staff member tested positive for COVID-19 on Friday and others who might have come into contact with that coworker were not notified until Sunday. Uh, D'Alessio Parsons said, quote, we didn't receive notification about the initial case from CPS until Sunday evening. And at that point, we had other staff members exhibit symptoms. And Monday, we had staff members come into the building who later left because they also began to exhibit systems, our symptoms. Yeah. Let me ask you a question, D. Hmm. And you really are a guy who tries to get along with all sides. Mm -hmm. So what's the difference between 
Lori Lightfoot supporters of the Chicago Public School who don't uh, spread word that there's a person uh, who's spreading COVID. And a MAGA congressperson refuses to wear a mask regardless of whether other people get COVID. What's really the difference? I know we're all supposed to look down with contempt at MAGA Congress people, and I do, but how are they any substantially different than the bureaucrats at Chicago public schools who are just doing whatever this boss says, but just like they did whatever the previous boss said, because whatever the boss says must be right, because that person's the boss. How is that any different? Please explain that to me. You're my man of reason and knowledge and understanding. You come from Alton. You learn to get along with all sides. What's the difference between the bureaucrat at CPS who's saying, shut up and get in that classroom, and the MAGA congressmen who say, mask? <laughs> who needs to wear a mask? Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and let you just stay in the mud on that one, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> That's with, called a duck and a duck. With, with that knowledge and understanding comes, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going there, pal. I'm just saying. It seemed like to be a whole bunch of difference, you know? But we're supposed to be mad at the MAGA congressman while embracing the bureaucrats and mad at CTU. Damn that CTU. Why can't they just do what they're told? Why are they such troublemakers? Why do they listen to that SDG? If they just went back to the classroom like Lori Lightfoot told them. Just believe everything Lori Lightfoot says. Just like MAGA people believe everything that Donald Trump says. So it's like bad when MAGA people believe everything that Donald Trump says, but also bad that Chicago teachers don't believe everything Lori Lightfoot says. I'm confused, Dean. Just the mixed messages are overwhelmingly, man. Also confused. Hey, Governor Pritzker, where are you at, buddy? Come on, step up. The enemy is you. Oh, well, that was uncalled for. <laughs> no, come on. He's, he's like, I'm not getting in the middle of that one. Uh-uh. <laughs> Just going to stay out of that. Chicago what? Chicago who? <laughs> Chicago. Never heard of it. Chicago. I'm in Mat- Mattoon, okay? I'm not in Chicago right today, okay? Just do a downstate reference at you, too. You're like, whoa, where'd you get that That was one? good. That was good. Ah, CTU, what is that? The trains or something? I don't want to deal with that. Uh, come on now. Teach? I, I mean, you know, I don't, Chicago? Is that, is that the name of a basketball team? Like the Chicago Bulls? Heard of them? Now we do Chicago. have some, we do have some teachers union in Pritzker News uh, right now. So oh. let's, let's read that. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times, Rachel Hinton and Adir Issa. Illinois lawmakers have voted to repeal a provision in an educational labor law that for the past 25 years has limited the Chicago Teachers Union's bargaining rights, marking a major win for the union and new leverage as it battles Chicago public schools over reopening and in future disputes. Illinois senators voted 38 to 16 on Monday to repeal Section 4.5 of the Illinois Educational Labor Relations Act, which will force city officials to bargain with the union over a wider range of issues that is currently mandated once it gets the governor's signature. If Governor J.B. Pritzker immediately signs the repeal bill, which already passed the House in 2019, there could be major implications for CPS's planned reopening, which began Monday for some students. Ben, help me out here. That was really wordy. What did I just read? And (laughs) what does this mean moving forward for the Chicago Teachers Union? You know, it's funny. 
It is kind of funny. I mean, like, I don't know how to fix this camera that sits on my computer. And then when I have to go into the settings, it's this major breakdown. And then it has to lead me through it step by step. And it's like just plugging this microphone into the computer is a momentous moment in my life. But I am supposed to absolutely know absolutely everything about the school code. Section 4.5. Ben, you know everything. What's section 4.5? And you know what the sad thing is, Dave? I do know what 4.5 is. Lord. <laughs> I may not know how to change the setting. You should have seen it, folks. Dennis is like, okay, Ben, it's really simple. Now you got that little uh, button on the side. All right, just go down there. You see settings? And we while he's going, good, Tim, this guy. Anyway. Never <laughs> <laughs> now and again. Millennials talking to boomers about uh, computers is a funny thing. So section 4.5 is a section of the school code that limits what uh, the Chicago Teachers Union and only the Chicago Teachers Union can negotiate over. For instance, they can't negotiate over the number of kids in the classroom. Can't go to strike over that. Uh, you know, so CPS is free to shove like 40 kids in the classroom and then say, shut up and teach those kids. Not the case in other school districts throughout the state. They get to negotiate it. They can uh, take it to arbitration. So, look, the reality is this. Upscale districts throughout the state of Illinois uh, have parents with in, who have strong sense of entitlement and a sense of clout. And if they see that their kid's classroom is too crowded, they'll go right down to the principal or the board of education and uh, let them know what they think, and boom, it'll be taken care of. That's how... It happens in wealthy towns. In the city of Chicago, which is this huge bureaucracy run by a central office that's largely removed from the people it's overseeing, it's like they they basically treat parents and children much the way they treat teachers. Shut up. Get in that classroom. We'll take care of that overcrowded class when we can. So the teachers can't... Uh, negotiate over that that's one of the things they want to get uh they want abolished so that they can negotiate over things like that and so the whole issue of forcing teachers to teach in the middle of a pandemic is not something that teachers are allowed to negotiate over uh as well so by passing this law that eradicates 4.5 and the limits that it puts on what teachers can negotiate over it's suddenly raising the, pro the possibilities that teachers do have the right to negotiate over something like whether they can be forced to go into a classroom that might be dangerous to them. And so suddenly, Mayor Lori Lightfoot will have to treat the teachers with a modicum of respect. She may have to do what I suggested she do months ago, which is call Jesse Sharkey or call Stacey Davis Gates and have a conversation one-on-one -on -one and just like, let's talk it through as opposed to ordering them what to do because that's how we do it in Chicago. You work for us. I'm the boss. And being the boss in Chicago means bossing around teachers. So, D, that's uh, the issue. So now Lori Lightfoot, who supported the eradication of 4.5 when she was running for office, of course, as we've now come to learn, candidate Lori Lightfoot is a lot different than Mayor Lori Lightfoot, something that many people warned me about many times <laughs> during the campaign. And what the world are you doing voting for Lori Lightfoot? And uh, come on. She came to the hideout. She told me and McDumkey absolutely everything we wanted to hear. She said she was against Tiffs. She brought a hacky sack, man. 
She was playing with people, man. She was cool. <laughs> she was playing Accusac with Will Gazzardi in the parking lot. Anyway, so that's the issue there. Now Lori Lightfoot's like, yeah, I wanted it, but uh, can we amend this so I don't have to negotiate with them over forcing them back into the classroom? Can we just force them back into the classroom? Yeah, just shove them in the class. By the way, I, I don't see Are teachers going to be at the front of the line to get the shot? I, that's something else. I, I haven't. I don't know if they're considered like essential employees. Front of the line, essential employees. I know one thing. Podcasters are way down on that list, eh? So you'll be sticking in that apartment for quite a while, young man. Oh, excellent. <laughs> oh, and since our state is actually two states, one very much liberal and one very much conservative, constantly bickering with one another. Here is what one of our downstate elected leaders said about the CTU news. And it's the furthest from congratulations as you can get. <laughs> Here's Illinois Republican state senator out of Mattoon, Illinois, near Decatur, Dale Ryder. I've seen the prolific nature with regards to tendencies of the Chicago Teachers Union to strike before the 1995 law came in place. Because I'll bet there's not another school district in the state that chose to go on strike more often than the Chicago Teachers Union. Right. Dale, get some water. <laughs> well, I could, that's, look, I said this before, I'll say it again. There's common ground in the state of Illinois between MAGA and moderate Democrats. A lot of common ground when it comes to the Chicago Teachers Union. They all, they all hate the Chicago Teachers Union. Rauner, oh, Mike Bruce, remember him, ladies and gentlemen, former governor? <laughs> he, he thought the Chicago Teachers Union was the reason that poor kids in the city of Chicago did not do as well as his kids. The rich kids who lived in Winnetka. Yeah, he thought, it's all that teacher's union. And Rob was like, yeah, yeah, I agree, I agree. There's that phase where all these Democrats were drinking that Kool-Aid. And they were thinking, this is like 2008, 2009. And they were thinking, if we're as tough on the teacher's union as Republicans are, then we could say we're a roll-up-our-sleeves kind of problem-solvers. You know, we're not ideologues. We're practical, pragmatic. We get along with Republicans. We're always working for common good. So they settled on who, which is the least likely union to fight back. The most vulnerable union, the most vulnerable group of laborers that we could turn the public against. The teachers, yes, because we can say we're doing it for the kids. That was like a little light that went off in little Rob's little head. And all the other centrist Democrats have been echoing it ever since. Lori Lightfoot's drinking, still drinking from that Kool-Aid. It's about the kids. It's always about the kids when they're sticking it to the Chicago Teachers Union. But it's funny, when the Chicago Teachers Union is sticking up for the kids... Shut up. Get in that classroom. Nobody asks what you think. So, yeah, Republicans agree with Lori Lightfoot when it comes to the teachers union, just like they agree with Rahm Emanuel when it came to the Chicago teachers union. And just like they agree with Mayor Daley at the end of his term, when he lost his mind, when he didn't get the Olympics. But I don't know, man. 
writer. Yeah, I got to help you with your history, young feller. Now, you're a young feller from Mattoon, Illinois. You don't really know about strikes in Chicago. But all those strikes in Chicago that occurred, like in the 70s and 80s, it's because the system was always claiming it was broke. In fact, writer, one time the system was so broke it couldn't pay its teachers and they went on strike. Now, what do you want? You want them to work for nothing? Is that what you want? Is that what you're advocating? It wasn't 4.5 little section in the code that brought relative peace for Chicago. I'll tell you what brought relative peace for Chicago. Mayor Daley, Paul Vallis, Jerry Chico, and all the powers that be. This is ancient history. I know I'm losing every millennial I ever had with this one. All the powers that be said, you know what? We'll make labor peace. We'll give teachers raises. We'll just take it out of the money we're supposed to be putting in their pensions. The teachers union back then, they were like a go-wrong bunch. Oh, sounds good to us. Okay. Now suddenly, you know, the pensions are broke. Oops. Oh, it seemed like such a great idea. And, every, and, and by the way, I just want to say, powers of being the city of Chicago editorial boards were extolling the virtues of Daly and Vallis. They were fiduciary geniuses. Oh, they're so brilliant the way they run the system. Yeah, D, nothing's changed, man. That was the theme of this today's story, talking about Donnie Trump. It's like nothing has changed. Republicans, but the only thing Republicans and centrist Democrats can agree on is they hate the Chicago Teachers Union. Shout out to Kyle Young on the live stream chat. Boy, he really uh, put the nail on the head here, saying, Lightfoot, why doesn't the CTU respect me? I've tried yelling at them, shaming them, starving them, not listening to them, killing them in a pandemic. What am I doing wrong? It must be their fault. <laughs> well put. You, I'll take your car, <laughs> throw you in jail. How did you go from sharing stories over the years to deciding to write a book? Good question, uh, Mayor. Good question. Oh, uh, yeah. why can't Lori Lightfoot treat Stacey Davis Gates the way she treats Hillary Clinton? Huh, D? Why? So nice to Hillary Clinton with that question. <laughs> By the way, don't get Maya talking about that question. <laughs> One of the greatest riffs in the history of the Ben Jarofsky show. Maya Dukmasova came into the studio. Oh, my God. All right. So now to that big statewide news. Yes. Even in the year 2021, there's still a giant bus waiting outside in the parking lot. A bus full of Democratic elected leaders. A fictional bus ready to fictionally roll over their Uber, longtime Illinois House Speaker Michael Joseph Madigan, and elect a new leader. So a lot has went down since we last left you. So let's recap here, and we begin on Sunday night when Illinois Speaker Michael Madigan failed to win the 60 votes needed among fellow Democrats for his reelection bid to lead the state house. Shout out to Shia Kapos and Illinois Politico for the following. Uh, In a Sunday closed-door Democratic caucus meeting, Madigan secured 51 votes, an effort to sort out leadership ahead of the formal floor vote this Wednesday. It was a voice vote. Representative Ann Williams got 18 votes, and Representative Stephanie Kifowit, three. Representative Kathleen Willis, well, she dropped out before balloting began. Two incoming House (laughs) Democrats, Denise Wang Stoneback and Suzanne Ness, also voted against Madigan. Representative Casey Kelly Cassidy voted present. 
telling the Sun-Times she did so to, quote, show respect to these women who made this bold choice at this time. We'll pause it right there. Ben, your thoughts on uh, Cassidy's vote of present? I don't know. I haven't talked to Casey in a while. I don't know why she uh, voted president as opposed to voting for Ann Williams. Uh, Ann Williams is the state rep. It's my state rep. Uh, and her district, I think, don't quote me on this, D, borders Kelly Cassidy. If they don't border one another, they're very close. They're both uh, north side liberals. Well, Casey may be a little more to the left uh, than is. But the, the point is, they're essentially, they've been allies for a long time. So I do not know the answer to that question, D. I know you think I know everything, but I do not know the answer to that question. Damn it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, I know you're going to continue with this story, but we all knew this was coming, that uh, Madigan did not have the 60 he needed. There were, what, 19 that said they were not going to vote for him, and they they were determined to stick to it. Some of them, their political future hinges on this vote because they live in districts that are swing districts, uh, could go either way. And others on the north side of Chicago, Madigan's not popular on the north side of Chicago, to put it mildly. And so uh, there's going to be opposition there. And um, so, yeah, we knew this was coming. So th- this is just like the game being played, moves being made. We knew that first move would end up with Maddie getting like, what, 50 votes. We got 51. Uh, and then the others uh, blocking him from getting 60. Now, what's the next move? Uh, Madigan is... Uh. Madigan is now down nine votes, though the Black and Latino caucuses backed Madigan. The 19 Democrats who weeks ago went public opposing him reiterated Sunday they're not backing down. In a statement, they said they won't support Madigan at any stage of the voting process. Representative Ann Williams issued a statement after Sunday's ballot saying, quote, Today's vote makes clear the House Democratic Caucus is ready for a change in leadership. She also hailed this journey to elect Illinois' first woman speaker. So, it's official. The bus has a driver. Democratic Representative Ann Williams. Okay, easy on the horn, Ann. (laughs) Now, on to Monday. And the following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Rachel Hinton, Monday morning, Madigan announced he was suspending his campaign. Wait, Mike Madigan has voluntarily gotten under the bus? Okay, Ann, here we go. The time has come. Start the bus. Start it. You got to pump the gas. Pump it. There we go. (laughs) Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Hold on. There's more. Okay, so he's not technically going under the bus. Uh, no, not technically at all. Yeah. All Go right. <laughs> the powerful South. Good, by the way, very well done. Go ahead. <laughs> the powerful Southwest side Democrat took pains. We're talking about Madigan here to assure members of his caucus that he was not dropping out of the race. All right. And just go ahead and cut the engine. All right. We're good. <laughs> You just got to pump the gas. You got to pump it. <laughs> Madigan said, quote, this is not a withdrawal. He said this in a terse statement issued Monday morning. He said, quote, I have suspended my campaign for speaker. As I have said many times in the past, I have always put the best interest of the House Democratic Caucus and our members first. The House Democratic Caucus can work to find someone other than me to get 60 votes for speaker. 
Late Monday, the Chicago Sun-Times learned that the Black Caucus had chosen state rep and former guest on the Ben Jarofsky show, just saying, Representative Emanuel Chris Welch uh, out of Hillside as its candidate for speaker. A source within the caucus said Welch would have Madigan's backing, but Madigan's spokesman denied that. And now comes the 2021 return of Madigan spokesman Steve Brown. <laughs> Steve, what's going on, man? When, re- when reached for comment, Steve Brown said that the veteran speaker isn't, quote, taking any position on any of the candidates who've either been announced or whose names have been mentioned in the media. And Governor Pritzker showed no signs of trying to intervene or broker a deal for a compromised candidate saying about the news during his daily COVID-19 update, quote, Choosing the speaker is the sole responsibility of those members. So I think that's, I think we're all caught up. Wow, ben, your thoughts? But that's even more confusing uh, than 4.5, section 4.5 of the school code. Well, first of all, ladies and gentlemen, let me just say this. As you know, I advocated Chris Welch to be the speaker weeks ago. I said, look, here's what we should do. <laughs> You ever notice, D, how the one thing that almost all these politicians have in common, including the leaders of the Chicago Teachers Union, is they never, ever, ever follow my advice. You ever notice that? Yeah, yeah. I don't blame them. I'm just saying. What does Stacey Davis Gates have in common with Lori Lightfoot? Well, if Ben says to do something, don't do it. So, I mean, it was so obvious. It was so obvious. Michael Joseph Madigan had to step down. He was causing problems for his beloved Democratic Party. We saw that in the last election. You needed evidence? We saw it in the Thomas Kilbride retention battle, the downstate Supreme Court justice. We saw that in the fair tax. We saw that uh, in the um, in many House districts and Senate districts and congressional districts where the Democrats either lost or won by sm- smaller margins. All the statewide Democrats people who know about campaigning outside of Chicago, warned the Democrats, Pritzker, Durbin, Tammy Duckworth. They go, guys, they really hate Madigan outside of Chicago. Now guys, I know it's unfair. I heard you before you say it. Yes, Madigan has been reviled and turned into a character by the forces of the right, Rauner, and Kenny G, and Johnny Cass at the Tribune, and the Tribune's editorial. I know they don't play fair. I know they look the other way when it comes to Donald Trump. I know they're freaking too cowardly to take a stand against MAGA. I understand they have two standards. I understand they have no principles. They're just in it to win. I get that. But the fact of the matter is, he won't defend himself. He's a liability. So he should have pulled a, a move out of the good of the party, she should have said, in my humble opinion, I've had a great run. Now it's time for me to step down and support my good friend, Chris Welch. And then Chris Welch will be the uh, next Speaker of the House. Madigan could be his tax winter. I said this before, at which point Dennis said, tax who? Tax Ritter? No, tax winter. Now, because it's politics, I get to do a little basketball related stuff. D, no, I'll make it, make it quick. I'm looking at the, make it quick, pal. <laughs> Tex Winter was an old coach, been around forever. And in the 1990s or late eighties, Phil Jackson, when he became coach of the Chicago Bulls said, oh, oh, that's my Phil Jackson invitation. I'm going to have Tex Winter sit next to me in the bench and whisper in my ear, give me advice. And that's what Tex Winter did. 
He gave advice to Phil Jackson. And when Phil Jackson went to the Lakers, he brought Tex Winter with him. And now every coach in the NBA, except for the real old ones, has like a Tex Winter on the bench. Come on, Tex, let's go. Yeah. Wow. That's that's good. Triangle. He's got that raspy voice, which is uh, with the cigarette. You can hear you can hear that voice that Phil Jackson's been known to smoke. Not reefer, necessarily. Uh, I don't know. Well, that too. All right, boys, huddle uh, up. Quick questionnaire. Who's got weed? I need it. <laughs> Triangle. Now, now you're going to Bernie Sanders as coach of the Bulls. <laughs> $27. So anyway, that's, that was the obvious solution. Obvious solution. So obvious. Michael Madigan's a stubborn guy, D. He's not going down without a fight. Yeah, yeah, he's a weirdo. He's a weirdo. <laughs> Yeah, crazy yes, weirdo. Here we are. All right, everybody. Oh, yes. Uh, Kyle Young, two for two today, buddy. He says, here's Ben today. It's so obvious. Madigan needed to step down. Here's Ben a couple of weeks ago. I don't know about Madigan. <laughs> so I guess we should ask the bus. Because <laughs> uh, I can never tell. So let's just get an update now. <laughs> Ben, are you on or off this bus? Oh, man. All right. Um, I'm, I'm on the bus. Okay, cool. I'm on the bus, Kyle. This time I'm on the bus, okay? We'll see where I am tomorrow. Will you still love me? Oh, my God. Tomorrow. Come on, Kyle. Uh, I'm on the bus. Chris Welch, drive that bus. Come on. All Come right. on, Chris Welch. Oh, no. Well, Ann Williams is in the seat now, so you're going to have to wait there. And easy on the horn. I think uh, Ann would compromise with the Black Caucus. I think she would. All right, he's on the bus. And Ben, I hate to do it, but I got to charge you again. <laughs> Step on in. Wait, is my card expired? Has it expired in all these months of the pandemic? Yeah, I don't know. You've been, I don't know. You got a little bit left, I guess. Okay, so there you are. That's our local news, everybody. Remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, Benny J. Bonus interviews, and so much more at chicagoreader.com and wherever else you download podcasts. Over 800 episodes of the Ben Jarofsky show. And we're on the march to 1 million downloads. We just want to mention that, by the way. We're at over 800,000. Uh, yeah. The March to 1 million begins on the Ben Jarofsky show. Uh, so, hey, go download some shows, all right? Even if you're on the live stream, chat, just go download them, all right? We won't say anything. <laughs> 1 million. Here we'll we come, say. baby. Uh, and when we hit 1 million, uh, Dennis is going to get a million-dollar bonus. So oh, that's yeah, the- Okay. <laughs> Our new sponsor, J.B. Pritzker. Um yeah and speaking of the live stream chat if you download all the time check out the live stream chat tuesdays through fridays one until 3 p.m central time at the chicago <laughs> what's so funny it's just the, the notion of you getting a million dollar bonus oh here's your bonus t million dollars oh great okay check us out tuesdays through fridays one until 3 p.m central time at the chicago reader youtube channel and join the live stream chat hear from Kyle, talk to him. He's there in the live stream chat. Uh, go check it out. Also, follow us on social media at Benny J Show, B E N N Y, the letter J Show. Send us an email, Benny J Show at gmail.com. And of course, you can call the Ben Jarofsky Show, 708 658 4788. That number again, 708 658 4788. We'd love to hear from you. 